But we know that Jesus guards and keeps his own, and we're going to see that a little bit this morning um, as we learn about the little ones. That's what I've entitled this message, The Little Ones. Turn with me in your Bible if you'd like. If you have a copy of God's Word, if not, you can just listen as we continue our study of the Gospel of Matthew. This morning we come to Matthew chapter 18, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 14 because they really belong together. Our emphasis will especially be in the early part of this passage, but Matthew chapter 18, and I'll read beginning in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Amen. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Oh God, we are, if we're in our right mind this morning, sobered and a little bit frightened by Jesus' words. We can't get this wrong. We have to understand what he is saying and we have to act upon what he is saying. Else hell is in the equation. And so as those who are needy, we come to you, Father in heaven, this morning asking to give to us by your Holy Spirit understanding not only of the vocabulary, the phrases, the sentences, the ideas, but that you would grant we grasp with our very hearts 
the words of your Son, our Lord Jesus, in his name we ask. Amen. I'd like to do something a little different. Just, I thought about this. No, maybe, maybe I shouldn't do this, but... Could I ask any, any kids... Kids, you there? Kids? Could I... Would you... Would you is, I'm not going to embarrass you, okay? I'm not, not going to ask you anything weird, but I need help this morning, and I'm not the only one. The, other, the adults here, we need your help. Seriously. And could I ask the kids 10 years old and under, would, could you just come up here for a minute? Is that, is that right? I'm not going to embarrass you. It's good. Would you help me? Just a few, we don't, just a few of you. Yeah, I just finished school after about 26 years. You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You don't have to go to work in the morning. You don't have to school, but you don't have to cook. You don't have to cook. Oh, so you didn't make dinner last night? No. You get to eat more food than you grown up? Yeah. <laughs> True. Good. You don't get to buy a house. No. Okay. Good. You don't get to buy clothes. No. Good job. Hey, thank you very much. This was helpful. Thank you. Can we give him a hand? Thank you. That was really helpful, and i sorry if you couldn't hear us, um, but just for clarity, they, they just confessed they don't own anything, they don't have any plans to buy a house, um, a few other things, but, but, you know, being a kid is kind of, is good in a lot of ways, but there is a difference to being a child, so I thought it would just be helpful at the beginning uh, to have some children stand in front of us, and, and for some of us who Maybe it's been a while since we were a child to be reminded of a few basics, and I hope that'll become a little more clear as we go along. But kids, I want to thank you. That was really helpful. Thanks for coming up here to help Pastor Gabe. Well, we go from that kind of light, you know, fun time to thinking about a passage that is quite serious. Uh, Jesus has been talking to his disciples for quite a while and repeatedly about the fact that he has to suffer. He'll be delivered over into the hands of evil men. Men, he'll, he will suffer at their hands. Up in chapter 17, verse 23, he informs his disciples that these evil men will kill Jesus and that he'll be raised on the third day. You maybe remember back in uh, chapter 16, when Jesus had something, said something similar, Peter had tried to pull him aside and say to Jesus, no way, Lord, that that's happening. You, you are not going to suffer. You are certainly not going to die. And yet Jesus is continuing to try to allow these, make these words rather, sink into the ears of his disciples. He, the Son of Man, this Messiah, the Messianic figure, it's necessary that he will be delivered over, that he will suffer, that he will die, and that he will be raised on the third day. Peter's not the only one who will have none of it. Each of the disciples, to one degree or another, cannot comprehend what Jesus is saying. In fact, they, it's more like this. They, they do not want to. They do not want to comprehend what Jesus is saying. It's not that the words of Jesus are difficult to understand. They know what suffering is. They live in an area of the world ruled by the Roman Empire. They have seen men and women hanging on crucifixes alongside the road. They know what death looks like. So it's not that it's difficult to understand, and they also understood the biblical concept of resurrection. But they just didn't want to hear what Jesus was saying. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear what Jesus was saying about his suffering and death, even if he would be raised. Because in their minds, Jesus doesn't get it. (laughs) That's not what's going to happen. And you see that kind of determination in the disciples' minds all the way up to the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is betrayed. Peter still has a sword thinking, no matter that my Lord has said so many times he's been delivered, that's not going to happen. 
That's not the plan, according to the disciples. They tolerate Jesus saying this. They repeated it. Oh, yeah, here he goes again. But they will not receive it. His suffering, the suffering of the Messiah, the death of the Messiah, they believe he's the Messiah. The death of the Messiah, even if he would be raised, is not the plan because it's not what they need, or at least what they perceive that they need. They don't need a suffering, dying Messiah. They need a victorious Messiah, and that's it. Because they are ready for the kingdom today, all set. They are actually considering themselves already to be in the kingdom. And, and it may be that they are. It may be that their faith is, is true at this point, but it's uncertain to what degree, whether all of them have trusted in Christ, Jesus as the Christ or not. Judas certainly hasn't. But in their minds, they're already in. The question is, which of them will be the greatest? The Gospels of Mark and Luke reveal in parallel accounts, that the disciples were actually talking about this among themselves without Jesus. They are convinced he is the king, he is the Messiah, he is going to kick the Romans out, he is going to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Now they're just wondering, as those who are the closest to him, who's going to have what position and what role and what honor? Jesus knows this. And so the Gospel of Matthew records it simply as the question, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This this is the question that the disciples are wondering, what they're asking, what they're talking about. Jesus knows it. The question is in the air. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? To say they are lacking in humility is certainly an understatement. They are proud. They are very proud. And unfortunately, that's not going to be changed with the teaching of Jesus in this passage. Because just a little bit later, in John chapter 20, in verse 20, the sons of Zebedee, the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him, And he said to her, what do you wish? And she said, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine be sit on your right hand and one at your left. They're obsessed with this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom? They believe what the Bible says about the kingdom of God on earth. They're accurate in that. They believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah. They're right about that, but they are very mistaken in their assessment of their own standing, and of themselves. We can see that they lack humility. They can probably see that the other disciples lack humility, but they can't see it. They can't see their pride. They can't see their lack of humility. And it is very serious. Because according to Jesus, follow this with me, in verse 3, without humility, no one enters the kingdom. Number 2, verse 4, 
Humility alone determines greatness in the kingdom. And number three, in verse five, we learn that Jesus identifies with the humble and only the humble. That's serious. We're not talking about just improving a character trait, having a little bit more humility. No humility, no entrance into the kingdom of God, no entrance into the kingdom of heaven. You are outside. This is a fundamental characteristic. Humility is required for entrance into the kingdom. Humility alone is the determining factor ultimately for greatness in the kingdom. And if you want to have fellowship with Jesus, in other words, Jesus says in verse 5, he who receives one such child in my name receives me. In other words, I'm with, I'm with these little ones, these humble ones. If you want to have fellowship with Jesus, it is absolutely essential that you are humble and that I am humble. Listen carefully. Humility is the most important and foundational characteristic of those who belong to Jesus and his kingdom. Humility is the most important and foundational characteristic of those who belong to Jesus and his kingdom. To illustrate for us and the disciples initially, what humility is. Jesus calls a child to himself. Verse 2, he called a child to himself and set him before them. We don't know the age of this child. We don't know if boy or girl, but he calls to himself a child. Probably a, a child that looked much like these boys and girls that came up here and helped me this morning. Boys and girls. A child. Jesus calls a child to himself. And we have to understand when Jesus is highlighting, illustrating humility and calls forth a child, he's not asking for sentimentality. Our culture tends to be very sentimental about childhood. That sentimentality actually didn't exist in the Roman culture concerning childhood and in the culture of Jesus' day. But rather, Jesus is highlighting what, what our, these kids helped us this morning understand. Here's a few basics about children. And we've all been children. Kids, just so you know, believe it or not, everyone here once upon a time was a child. We forget that. That's how it works. So here are some characteristics of childhood that Jesus is likely illustrating, highlighting as as illustrative of the kind of humility that is required for his kingdom. For example, children understand they are needy and cannot provide for themselves. The kids here testified to that. They, they were just telling the truth. They were just, I was asking them some questions, but they, they didn't claim to have the ability to buy their own clothes. They didn't claim to have the ability to go out and buy a whole gro- load of groceries. They didn't claim the ability to drive. That's not, they had to have somebody else bring them here this morning. They understand this. They get this. 
They're not fighting about it. You know, they're not saying, yeah, I got this. No, I got it. No, this summer I am going to buy a house. They're not delusional, like some of us are. They have a very good grasp, for the most part, on what their needs are and that they are needy. That's just a given. They understand they can't provide for themselves. They understand they're vulnerable and need protection. If there's a frightening situation, even a boy who's aspiring to be courageous, and we have some very courageous young men and women here, boys and girls, but they understand when they're in trouble that they need to go see mom or dad. They understand that they're dependent. They understand that they're weak. I didn't ask this question, but um, if I asked the boys and girls, who's stronger, you or your dad? I'd really ask you, who, who's stronger, you or your dad? Your dad? Yeah, it's just the way it is. My dad, too, was stronger. Thanks, God. You might still be stronger. So these are some characteristics. Uh, Children cry out when they're frightened or in great need. It's one of the characteristics of childhood. They don't feel, you know, uh, inhibition about when they're in need or or need something. They they are very willing to just show their emotion to in humility. Like they're not going to try to put on a on a face most of the time. They're they're pretty comfortable with just telling it like it is. I need help and I need it now. There's a certain built-in humility, a reckoning with your limitations that children possess. But from the disciples' perspective and the perspective of the society at that time, children were, in fact, not all that valuable. Children were not all that important in Roman culture. They were considered as property. Someone actually pointed out to me years ago, at least in Maine state law, that children were still considered property of their parents. Interesting. Children in that culture, that ancient Roman culture, Greco-Roman culture, were tolerated, not necessarily cherished. And yet Jesus warmly receives a child pointed to him or her and tells his disciples, paraphrase, You're not even going to enter. Never mind this question about who's the greatest. Remember, that's what they're asking. Who's the greatest? He essentially pulls forward this little child and essentially says to them, never mind this question about the greatest. You guys got to get it into your heads. You're not even going to enter the kingdom unless you become like this child. Wow. That is not what they were considering. What's more, what's rather shocking about Jesus' words in these opening verses of chapter 18, according to verse 4, we are responsible for humbling ourselves. Jesus says, whoever humbles himself as this child. The child was just being a child. Jesus called the child. The child came. The child didn't presume to be something other than a child. And Jesus says, Whoever then humbles himself as this child, according to verse 4, 
<clears throat> excuse me. We are responsible <clears throat> for humbling ourselves. Whoever humbles himself or herself, we are responsible, according to verse 4, for humbling ourselves. But get this. Verse 3 indicates that we must be converted. In other words, this humbling of ourselves ultimately is not something that we even have the ability to do, but rather someone else must do something to us. We must be turned, verse, verse 3, or converted. That's something that's being acted upon you. That is very humbling. It is very humbling that in a true sense, I don't even have the ability in myself to humble myself. I must be turned. I must be converted. And become like a child. This is shocking. It's humble people who alone enter the kingdom, who are esteemed highly in the kingdom, and humble people alone who enjoy fellowship with Jesus. This is, this is shocking. Put from another, or looked at in the full context of the passages, verses we read this morning, pride is not merely a character flaw. It is very In a very real sense, according to Jesus, it is potentially damning. Damning. Jesus here mentions hell, eternal fire, fiery hell. Jesus' words for those who are proud. To not enter the kingdom of heaven is to remain in the kingdom of darkness. This isn't, so we're not talking about just working on a little bit of humility. We're talking the difference between being in the kingdom and out of the kingdom, in the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. To not be esteemed by the kingdom of heaven, by God and by Christ, is to be despised, apparently, by Jesus, is to be despised by, the, by God, the Father, and Christ. And to not possess the humility that garners fellowship with Jesus is to be rejected by Jesus. Because Jesus says, after all, verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but... In other words, Jesus isn't good with any, everyone. You know, there's a, a commercial on I just saw the last few days. He gets us. Maybe you've seen this. It's, it's, it's terrible, just so you want to think about it. It's a supposedly evangelistic effort this commercial on national news or whatever, but it's, it's basically saying that essentially that we are so, 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 so very important that whoever we are, whatever we're like, Jesus gets us. Oh, he gets us. Yes, he does. And he gets it that we are very, very, very full of ourselves as were his disciples. So we tend to think of humility as a desirable character trait, or we tend to think that we can be saved and get around to working on humility. But Jesus' teaching here is clear. No humility, no salvation. You can't hold on to your pride and self of self, sense of self-sufficiency and self-importance 
and lay hold of Christ. In order to enter the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus, it is necessary that every man and woman acknowledge the truth like a child, come to terms with the truth, with reality. And the truth is that like a little child, you and I are needy, dependent, and capable of ultimately providing for ourselves what we need the most in regard to our sin. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot work our way into the kingdom of heaven. We cannot provide for ourselves what only God can give. We cannot lift ourselves up. We cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot earn our status in the kingdom of heaven. We cannot earn our way out of hell. We are utterly, completely, if we are to be saved and enter the kingdom at all, we are like a child, vulnerable, needy, and in the status and the position of needing to cry out to God to save us. That's the only way. And when we do, when we do humble ourselves, when we do, like a child, come to terms with our need, and unlike a child, however, we who are adults of any age, we have willful sins, years of them, of knowing what we ought to do in order to please God, but doing the exact opposite, serving ourselves, walking around and living as though God is not God, but that I am. We have been arrogant. We have been full of ourselves. We have been not only that way towards God, but we've been that way towards others, haven't we? To be short and snippy with somebody else, like the Pharisees, when in reality, we've probably done the exact same thing, sometimes only minutes before. To act like we are so important, so valuable, that, that people should just revolve around us and meet our every need and acknowledge our feelings and, and so on and so forth. It's, it is gross arrogance, unlike the, unlike the pride of a little child, the pride of an adult like the disciples is gross and not only unbecoming, it is culpable, it is liable to judgment by God. And so we must humble ourselves, and if we cannot find it in ourselves to humble ourselves, where do we begin? We begin out with, oh God, have mercy on me. I'm an arrogant, proudful, damned man or woman, and I'm so proud and dead, and I can't even see my own condition, that unless, oh God, you work in my heart, I am apparently, according to Jesus, headed to an eternity of judgment for my sins. That is not the sermon of some fiery Puritan preacher from you. This, are you hearing it? We're in the Gospel of Matthew. This is Jesus who gets us. Can you imagine looking in his eyes when he's talking to his disciples with this little child 
And the little child, the child feels safe and comfortable, obviously, in Jesus' presence. He was willing to come up to be with Jesus. But Jesus, looking in his disciples, I bet it was not a soft, cuddly look, saying, unless you become like one of these, you will not enter the kingdom. And then he goes on to say, woe, verse 7. And I don't know about you, but I do not want to have my eyes looking at the eyes of Jesus, the Son of God, when he says, woe. It's very frightening and serious. We must call out to God to convert us. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear that. Look what Jesus is saying, verse 3. Truly, he's underscoring it. I'm not lying. I'm not trying to scare you, he says. I'm not trying to, you know, manipulate you. Truly, this is the truth. Truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So some here this morning, I don't know who you are, young or old. Jesus, not me at the end of the day. I didn't write this book. Jesus and his word this morning is confronting you and calling you to humility to humble yourself and to acknowledge your need to be forgiven of your sin, to be reconciled to God, to recognize that you didn't control your first breath and you certainly don't control your last, that you need God desperately to save you. The wonderful news in this passage that is very sobering is that when we do cry out to God and when we do, by his grace and by his spirit, humble ourselves, acknowledge our sin, acknowledge our need, God welcomes us, Christ welcomes us, and not only does God welcome us and, and he cherishes us. Verses 7 through 14 underscore the value of these little ones. And when Jesus then is speaking about little ones, he's moved from talking about children in terms of age, he's talking about true believers. That's clear in verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. So a little one there is defined not by age, though God does clearly in his scriptures have a particular heart for children and we grieve when we see children harmed and abused and our only comfort at the end of the day and it is a great comfort is that those children who are harmed they have a avenger on high and we're not talking marvel comics He will avenge the little ones. But not only the little ones in terms of age, but he defines little ones, verse 6 here, as believers. Here's a a phrase for a believer I don't know that you've ever thought of. If you are a true believer, you are a little one. Jesus uses this phrase three times here at least. Verse 6, little ones. Verse 10, See to it that you do not spies one of these little ones. And then in verse 14, So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. 
I don't know about you, but as I've read through this gospel before, I've thought of Jesus moving from one subject to another to another. But in fact, this theme of God's view of the little ones is the concern of these verses. It's the unifying theme. Jesus isn't going from one subject to another. He's talking about how highly God esteems his little ones who are all his believers. The value of the little ones. Look look with me for a few moments at the value of the little ones according to Jesus. Begins in verse 6 with a warning. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned into the depth of the sea. Now, we're going to look at the warnings, but what does Jesus mean by stumble? Well, I don't think that he means that one of these little ones will lose their salvation, that a disciple will lose his salvation. For after all, verse 14 says, it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And one thing that is absolutely clear in the Bible, that whatever the father wills comes to pass. If he has willed the salvation of these little ones by God's grace, he will bring them through. So then what, what possibly could be the stumbling that's going on here? Well, certainly there could be persecution. Certainly we know that, that these little ones, the believers in Jesus Christ, have been persecuted in the history of the world. The early church is a, a story of, of bloodshed, and that continues down to this day. But also the little ones... Believers can be led astray by false teaching, by pastors and teachers who are, who are steering them away from the clear teaching of the Word of God, introducing false ideas, interrupting their humble fellowship with their Heavenly Father. Satan is constantly looking to see how he can cause true believers to stumble in discouragement, or, or being led astray with wrong teaching or falsehood. Not only the New Testament, but church history is a record of that effort. And we're comforted here that, again, that anyone who is truly born, truly converted, born again, who truly is brought into the kingdom, that they will not ultimately perish, but, oh, they can be harassed and harangued along the way. And what we're being told in this passage here is that God takes notice. Now, why is this here? Remember, the disciples are asking, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And when Jesus brings up a little child in their culture, they may have had kids of their own, but in their culture, kids are not that valuable. It's a humbling position. It's it's humbling to be a child And so, in a sense, Jesus is explaining why it is very, very, very good to be one of God's little ones. In spite of their prejudice otherwise, why would I want to be a little child? I mean, why would I not, not become a little child, but literally, but why would I, as a grown man, want to acknowledge to God my neediness, 
that I cannot provide for myself, why would I, why would I want to do that in a culture like ours, which is like, you can achieve, you can do whatever you want, you, 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 you. Why, why would I want to become a little one? That's a good question. There's many reasons. For one, we've already learned that's the only way you enter the kingdom of heaven. But as far as, according to disciples in this world, may not value humility. This world does not value humility. I mean, if you don't figure that out in our culture... I mean, you're supposed to talk about yourself, put pictures up about yourself. I mean, you just have to constantly be telling everything, everyone, about everything, about you, yourself, and you. The contrary, the kingdom of God values humility. And those who humble themselves become precious, precious in the sight of the Lord. So much so... That Jesus, here in verses 7 through 14, introduces some very severe warnings. Let's look at them together for a few moments. First of all, those who cause little ones, believers, to stumble, receive God's wrath and fiery hell. Those who cause the little ones to stumble, receive God's wrath in fiery hell. Jesus is very clear. He mentions fiery hell. I'm just quoting what he says in verse 9. Fiery hell. Calls it, verse 8, eternal fire. You uh, perhaps have seen in New Hampshire... Some of those millstones, those granite millstones, it's a big wheel, big, huge stone wheel. You get the picture? You can't lift it. Even with a tractor, you probably can't lift it. Jesus is saying, I want to tell you how serious it is for the world or anyone to mess with my little ones. It would be better for you, says Jesus, if you were to charter a boat that can handle a stone that weighs about a ton, for you to go about seven miles or at least maybe a little further out, why don't you, you should probably go off the shelf there out into the deep Atlantic. It would be better for you to hook that millstone, tie it around your neck, and have yourself thrown into the deepest part of the Atlantic than mess or cause with or cause one of my little ones to stumble. It's a violent image out of the mouth of Jesus. But he's telling those who would harm his little ones what would happen to them. But what's he also doing? He's also helping his little ones understand how much he and his father cherishes them. Woe to the world, verse 7. Jesus testifies that the world is in constant opposition against God and against God's little ones, his disciples. And Jesus warns those in the world who would persecute or try to lead astray, cause tempt or 
otherwise cause to stumble his little ones. Jesus uses, again, very graphic language. We've gone from a millstone being tossed into the depth of the sea to you'd be better off. And he's not literally, he's using an illustration here. He's, but he's saying, seriously, looking people in the eye, you'd be better off cutting off your hand, your foot, or your eye than to mess with one of my little ones and to cause them to stumble. Because if you cause one of my little ones to stumble, you will be, verse 8, cast into the eternal fire. And I need to and I plan to have a sermon pretty soon on the doctrine of hell and its eternality because it is basically denied in our age outright and largely denied wholesale and not even talked about. And yet Jesus throughout, this is not the first time, he's already mentioned hell numerous times. He assumes it as a given and a fixed reality. And so I will have a time in which we'll look into that more. But for this morning, I just want you to notice, Jesus says the experience that someone will have who sins against or causes one of his little ones to stumble, the experience will not be temporal. They will not just die and that's the end of it. They will be cast consciously into the fire of God's wrath in a place called hell and they will experience it eternally without end. No rest, no vacation, no day off, no perspective of any end in sight because they messed with and sought to harm and cause to stumble one of his little ones. Wow. Those who cause the little ones to stumble receives God's, receive God's wrath and fiery hell. That, es- that lifts our esteem of, of what it means to be a little one. To be that cherished, to be that loved, to be that protected that if we humble ourselves, if we humble ourselves and God in his mercy turns our hearts and we are humbled and we confess our neediness and we become like a little child and we recognize the reality that we are in our Father's hands, that we cannot make our own way, we cannot ultimately work this out for ourselves. As we express the truth, which is we are dependent upon God, when we place ourselves in God's hands, oh, does he take care of us and vindicate and avenge his own. Jesus teaches in verse 10, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Don't believe this is teaching here that every single believer has a personally assigned angel. There can be differences on that. What is very clear is that God has charged his angels to watch over not only Christ when he was on this earth, but he gives his angels as ministers to guard and to watch over his little ones, his disciples. And these angels who watch over the little ones are the very same angels that are in the presence of God and see the face of God Almighty and cry out, holy, holy, holy. 
In other words, God did, does not delegate the protection of his little ones to some subcontractor, some security company somewhere just to get the job done. He sends the most powerful spiritual beings he has created and who attend his presence, who are in his very presence, and he gets reports, as it were. The father is very aware when his little ones are being despised. He knows. And he does not think it's cool, to say the least. In fact, he gets fired up about it. Thirdly, and finally this morning, I want you to notice as we look at these, the value of the little ones. That God will not suffer any of his little ones to perish, not one. Jesus gives a parable here, an illustration of a man who has a hundred sheep and only one of them is lost. And yet, he leaves the 99, goes, searches for that little one, high and low, valleys, hills, finally. And when he finds it and brings it home, it's with joy. He rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. It's not saying that the 99 aren't important. It's just underscoring that God Almighty cares passionately about every single one of his little ones. And that's why Jesus says in verse 14, so, in a similar way, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. No, not one. Wow. I guess being a little one isn't so bad after all. And while humility may feel toxic to my sin-sick soul, when God in his mercy and grace helps me and you, helps me come to my right mind, and I just come to terms with the truth of who God is and who I am and my need for him, when I humble myself, when even the pain of humbling and the contrition and the tears and the sorrow and the repentance and the turning from things that displease God and dishonor Christ, as I renounce my self-sufficiency and I lay hold of Christ and Christ alone for my hope, for my salvation, for my all in all as we sing, that though I am humbled and though I am brought to the place of a little child, that as a little one, I find myself cherished by God the Father in a way that I could never comprehend apart from Jesus' teaching here. Tell me, believer, how important do you think you are to God and some of you are going to be disturbed by this, but I'm, I'm pointing you to Jesus' teaching. That God is willing to commit to hell those who would cause you to stumble. That's how valuable you are to him. Wow. 
He will not lose one of his little ones. So what do we do with this in closing? How do we understand this? There's much here. And as I said a while ago, the first call here is to conversion. If you're here this morning and you have honestly before God, maybe you thought of yourself as a Christian, but you know and God knows that you have never humbled yourself. You thought you could still have your pride and Jesus, and you've learned this morning that you were sorely mistaken. I urge you this morning, cry out to God, humble yourself. Ask him for this conversion from pride to humility and true repentance and faith and reliance upon Jesus Christ. But for the little ones who have trusted in Christ, these are words for caution and words for comfort, aren't they? Caution in that not only should the world be wary of how it treats Jesus' little ones, but it's a reminder to us, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be very careful how we treat one another. This, this is really serious. Because God takes his little ones very serious. And your brother or sister, yes, with all their areas to grow still for sanctification and all their problems and quirks, they are one of God's little ones. And even if you're a little one, you better take heed and remember that they also are one of his little ones. Mike bring us up short when we're tempted to gossip about a brother or sister or to criticize them unjustly or to be all that we can be nasty caution but in closing comfort what wonderful comfort that God loves his little ones so much all we have to do to be the object of his Fierce affection. Thank you. All we have to do is humble ourselves. Let's pray. And so, God, we're a bit disturbed this morning. We pray, oh God, have mercy and give us humility. We recognize that like the disciples that We can be so full of ourselves, have such big heads, we can't even get through the door, and yet we're not even aware of it. So God, have mercy on us and grant us true humility. But in closing, we thank you, our God and our Father, that those who you have given humility to, in whatever a small portion, but sincere humility of faith in Christ, that you would love us so. Comfort and courage the hearts of your people today with the thought that your little ones are so much the object of your fierce affection. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.